Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. I want you to think about this. Every time you and I open our wallet, it's a very revealing moment in our life. How we use our money, underuse our money, or abuse our money is an index to the commitments of our heart and the window into our character. go to the Bible for guidance on morality, forgiveness, and hope. But when it comes to managing our possessions, we often forget to draw strength from Scripture on this pressing matter. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy continues a series in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. During the next half hour, we'll find time-tested financial advice on our pocketbooks. Whether you're managing a lot or very little, we all need to know more about managing our money. You'll also find helpful resources to aid you in this study when you visit us online at ktt.org. Here's Philip. I want to take you to Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9 and 10. And I want to use these verses as a launching pad to consider with you managing your money. God speaks to that subject often. In fact, did you know that if you took your Bible, 500 verses dealing with the issue of prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. God says more to Christians on the use of their pocketbooks than most any other subject, and therefore I do not apologize for speaking on it. It's not my intention to make you feel guilty. It's simply my intention to exposit the corpus of God's Word so that you and I might live more rightly and live more righteously. In fact, in Proverbs, this is a major theme. Of the 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, 24 say something about money, 68 verses in all. This is a major theme, and it's a major issue in our life. So let's take the wisdom of God's Word and bring it to bear upon our pocketbooks, our checkbooks, and uh, all that concerns us in terms of our material possessions. Managing your money. Listen to God as He speaks to us directly from His Word. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Dr. Haddon Robinson tells the story that appeared in the New York Herald Tribune some years back about a man who after 40 years of marriage was about to throw in the towel. While he was in his office one evening, putting the finishing touches to the paper for the divorce hearing, he stumbled across a book of canceled checks. They dated back to the beginning of his marriage. He was taken by the fact that the first check he ever wrote was made out to the minister who officiated at the wedding. The second was in the name of the hotel where he and his wife had spent a very happy honeymoon. The third was a check covering a large amount, which was for the down payment of their first home. As he continued to leaf through the checks, another, he found, covered the hospital fees for the birth of their first child. As the man leafed through these check stubs, warm and happy memories and emotions began to flood the chamber of his heart. He had second thoughts about the divorce. In fact, 
He lifted the phone and called his wife, asking to meet with her. She agreed, and he met with her to tell her that um, he didn't intend to divorce her. Because you see, upon reflection, he realized that he had invested too much in her emotionally and financially and had enjoyed so many happy returns upon his investment that there was no way he could or should let her go. It's a great story. They say that money talks. And this story about money tells us that money spills the beans and what is precious to us. It tells us a lot about ourselves and how we view others. In fact, the man in our story, as he followed the trail of his financial dealings, was taken on a tour of the high spots of his life, the most happy moments of his experience. And he was brought to see through the use of his money what was important to him, what his core commitments were. Jesus, did he not say in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, where a man's treasure is, there shall his heart also be? This man proves this verse. He found his heart again for his wife where he found his treasure. Folks, pin back your ears. This tells us that money is not simply a medium of exchange. It's not a means of simple transaction. It's more than that. How we use our money, underuse our money, or abuse our money is an index to the commitments of our heart and the window into our character. I want you to think about this by way of introduction. Every time you and I open our wallet, it's a very revealing moment in our life. Every time we open our purse, we are unzipping our heart for all to see. Because where our treasure goes, our heart follows. Where our treasure is, our heart will be found. A man's checkbook will tell you one of two things. According to 1 Timothy 6 verse 17, it will tell you either he's trusting in God or that he's trusting in the security or the insecurity of uncertain riches. A man's checkbook will tell you one of two things. He's either qualified for spiritual leadership or he's unqualified for spiritual leadership. Because according to Jesus in Luke chapter 16, verses 10 to 11, how a man orders his financial dealings is an indication as to whether God can entrust to him spiritual riches. A man's checkbook will tell you one of two things. It will tell you either he's a servant of God or he's a slave to materialism. Because in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said, you can't serve God and mammon all at the same time. Oswald Chambers said this, money is one of the acid tests of character and a surprising amount of space is given to it in the scriptures. Whether a man is rich or poor, observe his reaction to his possessions and you will find the index to his heart which, by the way, reminds you and I, when we think of this connection between character and cash, that materialism has nothing to do with how much you own or how much you make. Don't be falling foul to the thought that because someone's rich, they're materialistic. The Bible doesn't countenance that perspective at all. No, materialism has nothing to do with how much you have or how much you make. It has everything to do with how you regard what you own and how you use what you make. You can be poor and materialistic. You can be rich and godly in your stewardship of material blessings. Listen to the words of Howard Hendricks. He puts it so poignantly, quote, materialism has nothing to do with the amount. It has everything to do with the attitude. I like that quote. Well, 
considering then, as we've just indicated by way of introduction and illustration, that money is tied to um, our spirituality. Money uh, gives us a sense of our eternal perspective on things. Considering the spiritual nature and the eternal significance of our handling of our money, you and I would do well to learn fiscal fitness from a biblical perspective. Listen to Proverbs 16, verse 16. 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. That verse reminds us that wealth must be accompanied by wisdom. You and I have got to exercise fiscal fitness from a perspective of biblical wisdom. If not, we will use our wealth wastefully and wantonly, and if not, wickedly. You and I need to um, tie wisdom and wealth together. You see, many people work hard for their money, but if they lack wisdom, they don't know how to put their money to work for them. They know how to make a living, but they don't know how to make a life. Wisdom alone helps a man make a life. You see, many people work hard, but without wisdom, they don't live smart. And therefore, their hard work doesn't pay off. That's why it's critical. The first thing I want us to think about within the uh, instruction of the book of Proverbs is the possession of money. We're going to look at five things, the possession of money. One of the fundamental tenets of wise fiscal management is to remember, listen, write it down, what you own, you don't own. What you own, you don't own. What you have has been given. Remember how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7? What do you have that you did not receive? Brings us to think about the possession of money. The Bible wants us to understand this, that what we possess, we really don't possess because what we possess has been provided to us by another. What we own, we don't own. You know the verse, Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. By implication, that verse alone reminds us that none of us are self-made men. Whatever we have, wherever we live, whatever we enjoy, God has given it to us out of sheer grace and out of wise providence. That's why Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions. Pray tell me why, because they're not yours, they're His Honor him with what he has given you. Do you get it? Of course you do, but we forget it. That's the possession of money. In fact, look at Proverbs 10, verse 22, to reinforce this thought. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. Can it be any clearer? And he adds no trouble with it or no sorrow with it. The blessing of the Lord makes a man rich. To whatever degree you and I enjoy God's riches, it is because of God's goodness. And you and I need to remind ourselves of that fact. Go back to Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. That's why we're told in chapter 3 and verse 9, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so that your barns will be filled with plenty. Here, Solomon is reminding us of the feast of first fruits, which was part of the Jewish festival calendar, 
When the harvest time came, the farmers would, would cut down their harvest and the best bushels would be gathered. The first part of the harvest would be gathered and taken to the temple, dedicated to God as an act of worship and as a memorial of thanksgiving for God's goodness and grace. You see, they cut the first part of the harvest down and they took it to God. Why? Because it came from God and it first belonged to God. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. By the way, I want you to think about something here, lest you misunderstand the purpose of the Feast of First Fruits. Don't be thinking that when they gave that first fruits, the rest was theirs. That's not what the Feast of First Fruits teach. It's not saying, okay, give that tenth to the Lord and the nine tenths is yours. What it is saying is, it all is the Lord's. Give a portion it to the temple as a manifestation of the, of the fact that you understand that it all is God's, it all belongs to him, and you use it to honor him. I think sometimes we forget that. We, we fall foul to the kind of slicing up of the pie idea of life. I think sometimes we look at our lives like a pie. And many Christians are satisfied with this idea. And you know what? These Christians have gone beyond where some are to their credit. These Christians say, you know what? Let's look at the pie of the week. The seven days in the week. I'm going to give one day to God. I'm going to dedicate Sunday to God. I'm going to make sure my family's in church morning and evening. We're going to make that day special. And I say, amen, great job. But that is not sufficient if you think that the other six days are yours. That's not how it works. The reason that you and I set a day aside is a reminder that the whole week is God's. And we can especially manifest and evidence that on one day of the week. Same with our giving. Some Christians have gone beyond where many Christians are and they give a tenth. But some of them give a tenth and think, well, the nine tenths that are left now are mine. I've given God what's his. No, you haven't. You've given God a tenth of what's his in a very evident, manifest way, and that's good. But you know what? The other nine-tenths are still his. The earth is the Lord's and all the fullness thereof. All our days belong to God and so do our dollars. We need to understand that our possessions are a sacred trust. We are stewards. We are managers. What is a steward? It is someone who has been given a responsibility to manage the affairs of his master in the absence of the master. Our master has gone. He's coming back. And in the in-between, he has given us many things. And he wants us to be good stewards of those gifts, of those graces. And he wants us to understand that everything we enjoy, physically, emotionally, spiritually, materially, are gifts from his. And he has given them for express purposes, which we'll get to in a moment. In fact, if you think about this, I've been thinking about it a lot. In a sense, when I give and our family gives, when you give and our family give, we're not really giving to God anything that he hasn't given to us in the first place. And in that sense, we don't really give to God. God gives to us. <laughs> That's the emphasis of the word of God. It's not really our giving to God. It's his giving to us and his desire that we use what he has given to us for his glory, for the meeting of our needs and for the benefit of those who God wants us to touch with his love. Let me show you this. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, you're in the context of offerings being taken for the temple. God's people have stepped up to the plate. They have blessed the work of God generously. Now David is praising God for the generosity of God's people. But here's what's interesting. 
Here's what we read. Both riches and honor come from you and you reign over all in your hand is power and might. In your hand, it is to make great and to give strength to all. First Chronicles 29, verse 12. Now verse 13. Now therefore, our God, we thank you. You know, it's not God from heaven. Oh, thank you, David, for giving to me. It's David looking to heaven and saying, Lord, thank you for giving to us. We give it back to you. It is in your power to give riches and honor. And, and we want to praise your glorious name. Now look at verse 14. But who am I and who are my people? God has evidently been at work here, but they're not standing around polishing their medals. We're great. Look at how much we have given. No, they understand where this is all headed and where it's all come from. Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. Did you catch that at the end? What you've given us, we've just given to you. You see the possession of money? God possesses it. We don't possess anything that we possess because what we possess has been given and provided to us by God and we better use it well and wisely. We better honor the Lord with our possessions. They are not ours. And we of all people should be generous, gracious, willing to give because it's not ours to keep. It's not ours to keep. The seven days he gave us for him. The whole wage packet he gave us for the purposes for which he designs us to use that money. That's a tremendous challenge because I think you and I, can fall foul of the idea that money is ours and we, we can use it for our personal comfort and for our personal convenience. But God has given us it for a greater purpose than that. It includes that. We must serve God with our money. We must not take God's money and serve ourselves. You get the point? When it comes to spending money, what's the question that you and I should ask ourselves before we purchase something? It's not, have I got the money to purchase this? And that, often that's what we're thinking. Well, you know what? I, I like that. Uh, I, I would desire that. And you know what? I've got the money. I can have that right now. But that's not the question. Just because money is available and accessible doesn't make the purchase right. Because if that alone is the question that you need to have answered before you buy something, that means that money is directing your purchasing. The accessibility of it, the availability of it is the thing that directs your purchasing. But that's not the question the Christian should ask. The Christian should ask, does God want me to have it? Is this what God wants me to do with his money? I think that's what Jesus is driving at here in Matthew 6, 24. You can serve mammon or you can serve God. Mammon was a Canaanite deity of wealth. Jesus said you can make an idol out of things and you can make a God out of your appetite and you can take the money that God has given you and you can worship yourself in serving the Canaanite God of affluence and wealth. Or you can take what God has given you and serve him with it. Listen to these words from Richard Foster. We are using mammon when we allow God to determine our economic decisions. We are serving mammon when we allow mammon to determine our economic decisions. Do we buy a new car because we can afford it or because God instructed us to buy a new car? If God determines what we do or do not do, then money is our boss. If God determines what we do or do not do, then God is our boss. Most of us allow money to dictate our decisions, what kind of house we live in, what vacation we take, what job we hold. Money 
decides. But money should never decide. Just because it's accessible or available doesn't mean that we should just go ahead and take it and have what we think we need or should have. Because the possession of money reminds us that it's God's. And maybe God would have us buy a new car, but maybe God would have us keep the old one. It's only got 60,000 miles, and God would have us invest that money in his work, support a missionary, bless an orphanage across the world. It's not, can I purchase this because I've got the money, but is this how God would want me to use this money? I would love, along with you, to cultivate in my life the passion and the perspective of John Wesley. When he heard that his house had been burned down, he was an itinerant Methodist evangelist, and he had a particular home. It was a kind of a parsonage, and so he was away from it. When he was out doing the Lord's work, a friend of him caught up with him and said, John, you need to know your house has been burned down. Do you know what his reaction was? Here's what John Wesley said. It is the Lord's house. Let him deal with it. Wow. First of all, that's faith. That's trusting God with your possessions. And that's freedom. That's realizing that your possessions are God's business. He gives and takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You're not out feverishly trying to find security in your possessions. God has given you them freely. You use them as a good steward. And if he lets you keep them, you use them for his glory. If he takes them away, you bless them. They're his anyway. And we need to hear this. Do you know why? Because the church of Jesus Christ in America is living in the most affluent culture on planet earth. And if anybody has to listen to the wisdom of the book of Proverbs, it's American Christians who are being badgered from the pages of magazines, from pop-up images on the internet, from the television screen to buy something presented as indispensable to their happiness and their health and said, you know what, you can have this, you've got the money to enjoy this. But the question isn't that. The question is, does God want you to have this? In the light of so many needs across the world, in the light of kingdom work, in the light of future investment, does God want me to have it? It's a different perspective than we're used to, but God's Word gives the wisdom we need for managing our money in a way that honors Him. You're listening to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. You can hear this message again when you visit ktt.org. While you're there, be sure to glance at the resources in our online store. An encouraging book or Bible study series from Philip DeCourcy might be just the thing to give to a friend or family member who's in need of the gospel. As you may know, sharing God's Word is our mission here at Know the Truth. Each day, we teach the life-changing truth of the Bible with listeners all over the country through the radio and Internet, some hearing the gospel for the very first time. But without generous, like-minded believers like you, this ministry would not be possible. So, if you would like to help reach more souls for Christ, would you consider giving monthly as a truth ambassador or give a one-time gift of any amount? Call 888-644-8811 or give your gift online at ktt.org. And to express our gratitude for your gift, we'll send you A Dozen Things God Did With Your Sin and Three Things He'll Never Do by Sam Storms. Every Christian has experienced days or even seasons of feeling extreme guilt over past or present sins, thinking that God is angry or disgusted with them, sometimes even wondering if they're truly saved. This often happens when believers fixate on their sins while forgetting what Christ has already done on their behalf at the cross. This is a book that calls readers to focus on the cross and remember that Christ has defeated our sins once and for all. 
It's yours with a gift of any amount to know the truth. Call us at 888-644-8811 or visit ktt.org. And one more thing, if you'd like to stay up to date on all things Know the Truth, be sure to connect with us in our social media channels. Just search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter and click follow. This is Wayne Shepherd wishing you a blessed weekend. Join us again next time for more convicting and encouraging Bible teaching from Philip DeCourcy. That will be next time, right here on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Amen.